process. Chapter N. Persistence. The sustained effort necessary to induce faith the eight step to riches. Persistence is an essential factor in the procedure of transmuting desire into its monetary equivalent. The basis of persistence is the power of will. Willpower and desire, when properly combined, make an irresistible pair. People who accumulate great fortunes are generally thought of as cold-blooded and sometimes ruthless. Often they are misunderstood. What they have is willpower, which they mix with persistence and place back of their desires to ensure the attainment of their objectives. Henry Ford was generally misunderstood to be ruthless and cold-blooded. This misconception grew out of Ford's habit of following through in all of his plans with persistence. The majority of people are ready to throw their aims and purposes overboard and give up at the first sign of opposition or misfortune. A few carry on despite all opposition until they attain their goal. These few are the Fords, Carnegies, Rockefellers, Edisons, and other outstanding achievers of the world. There may be no heroic connotation to the word, persistence, but the quality is to a person's character what carbon is to steel. The building of a fortune generally involves the application of the entire 13 principles of the Think and Grow Rich philosophy. These principles must be understood, and they must be applied with persistence by all who would accumulate money. If you are following this book with the intention of applying the knowledge it conveys, your first test as to your persistence will come when you begin to take the six actions described in chapter 1. Unless you are one of the two out of every hundred persons who already have a definite goal at which you are aiming and a definite plan for its attainment, you may read those instructions, then pass on with your daily routine, and never comply with those instructions. I ask you to evaluate yourself on this point because lack of persistence is one of the major causes of failure. Moreover, experience with thousands of people has proved that lack of persistence is a weakness common to the majority of them. It is a weakness which may be overcome by effort. The ease with which lack of persistence may be conquered will depend entirely upon the intensity of one's desire. The starting point of all achievement is desire. Keep this constantly in mind. Weak desires bring weak results, just as a small amount of fire makes a small amount of heat. If you find yourself lacking in persistence, this weakness may be remedied by building a stronger fire under your desires. Continue to read through to the end of this chapter, then go back to chapter 1 and start immediately to carry out the instructions given in connection with the 6 action steps. The eagerness with which you follow these instructions will indicate clearly how much, or how little, you really desire to accumulate money. If you find that you are indifferent, you may be sure that you have not yet acquired the money consciousness which you must possess before you can be sure of accumulating a fortune. Fortunes gravitate to individuals whose minds have been prepared to attract them just as surely as water gravitates to the ocean. In this book may be found all the stimuli necessary to attune any normal mind to the thought vibrations which will attract the object of one's desires. If you find you are weak in persistence, center your attention upon the instructions contained the chapter on power of the master mind, chapter 9. Surround yourself with a mastermind group, and through the cooperative efforts of the members of this group you can develop persistence. You will find additional instructions for the development of persistence in the chapters on autosuggestion and the subconscious mind, chapter 3 and chapter 11. Follow the instructions outlined in these chapters until your habit nature hands over a clear picture of the object of your desire to your subconscious mind, which works continuously while you are awake and while you are asleep. From that point on you will not be handicapped by lack of persistence. Spasmodic or occasional effort to apply the rules will be of no value to you. To get results, you must apply all of the rules until their application becomes a fixed habit with you. In no other way can you develop the necessary money consciousness. Poverty is attracted to the one whose mind is favorable to it, as money is attracted to the one whose mind has been deliberately prepared to attract it, and through the same laws. Poverty consciousness will voluntarily seize the mind which is not occupied with money consciousness. 
A poverty consciousness develops without conscious application of habits favorable to it. The money consciousness must be created to order, unless one is born with such a consciousness. Catch the full significance of the statements in the preceding paragraph, and you will understand the importance of persistence in the accumulation of a fortune. Without persistence, you will be defeated even before your start. With persistence you will win. If you have ever experienced a nightmare, you will realize the value of persistence. You are lying in bed half awake, with a feeling that you are about to smother. You are unable to turn over or move a muscle. You realize that you must begin to regain control over your muscles. Through persistent effort of willpower, you finally manage to move the fingers of one hand. By continuing to move your fingers, you extend your control to the muscles of one arm until you can lift it. Then you gain control of the other arm in the same manner. You finally gain control over the muscles of one leg and then extend it to the other leg. Then with one supreme effort of will you regain complete control over your muscular system and snap out of your nightmare. The trick has been turned step by step. You may find it necessary to snap out of your mental inertia through a similar procedure, moving slowly at first, then increasing your speed until you gain complete control over your will. Be persistent no matter how slowly you may at first have to move. With persistence will come success. If you select your mastermind group with care, you will have in it at least one person who will aid you in the development of persistence. Some individuals who have accumulated great fortunes did so because of necessity. They developed the habit of persistence because they were so closely driven by circumstances that they had to become persistent. There is no substitute for persistence. It cannot be supplanted by any other quality. Remember this and it will hearten you in the beginning, when the going may seem difficult and slow. Those who have cultivated the habit of persistence seem to enjoy insurance against failure. No matter how many times they are defeated, they finally arrive at the top of the ladder. Sometimes it appears that they have a hidden guide whose duty is to test them through all sorts of discouraging experiences. Those who pick themselves up after defeat and keep on trying, are when the world cries, bravo. I knew you could do it. The hidden guide lets no one enjoy great achievement without passing the persistence test. Those who can't take it simply do not make the grade. Those who can take it are bountifully rewarded for their persistence. They receive as their compensation whatever goal they are pursuing. That is not all. They receive something infinitely more important than material compensation They knowledge that every failure brings with it the seed of an equivalent advantage. There are exceptions to this rule. A few people know from experience the soundness of persistence. They are the ones who have not accepted defeat as being anything more than temporary. They are the ones whose desires are so persistently applied that defeat is finally changed into victory. We who stand on the sidelines of life see the overwhelmingly large number who go down in defeat, never to rise again. We see the few who take the punishment of defeat as an urge to greater effort. These, fortunately, never learn to accept life's reverse gear. But what we do not see, what most of us never suspect of existing, is the silent but irresistible power which comes to the rescue of those who fight on in the face of discouragement. If we speak of this power at all, we call it persistence and let it go at that. One thing we all know if one does not possess persistence, one does not achieve noteworthy success in any calling. As these lines are being written, I look up from my work and see before me less than a block away the great mysterious Broadway of New York, the graveyard of dead hopes, and the front porch of opportunity. From all over the world, people have come to Broadway seeking fame, fortune, power, love, or whatever it is that human beings call success. Once in a great while someone steps out from the long procession of seekers, and the world hears that another person has mastered Broadway. But Broadway is not easily nor quickly conquered. She acknowledges talent, recognizes genius, and pays off in money only after one has refused to quit. The secret of how to conquer Broadway is always inseparably attached to one word persistence. 
The secret is told in the struggle of Fanny Hurst, whose persistence conquered the Great White Way. She came to New York in 1915 to convert writing into rituals. The conversion did not come quickly, but it came. For four years Miss Hurst learned about the sidewalks of New York from first-hand experience. She spent her days laboring and her nights hoping. When hope grew dim, she did not say, All right Broadway, you win. She said, Very well, Broadway, you may whip some, but not me. I'm going to force you to give up. One publisher, the Saturday Evening Post, sent her 36 rejection slips before she broke the ice and got a story across. The average writer, like the average, in other walks of life, would have given up the job when the first rejection slip came. She pounded the pavements for four years to the tune of the publishers, and zero, because she was determined to win. Then came the payoff. The spell had been broken, the unseen guide had tested Fanny Hurst, and she could take it. From that time on, publishers beat a path to her door. Money came so fast she hardly had time to count it. Then the motion picture crowd discovered her, and money came not in small change, but in floods. The movie rights to her novel Great Laughter brought $100,000, said at the time to be the highest price ever paid for a story before publication. Her royalties from the sale of the book increased her fortune further. Briefly, you now have a description of what persistence is capable of achieving. Fanny Hurst is no exception. Wherever men and women accumulate great riches, you may be sure they first acquired persistence. Broadway will give any beggar a cup of coffee and a sandwich, but it demands persistence of those who go after the big stakes. Kate Smith would have said, Amen, in reading this. For years she sang, without money and without price, in front of any microphone she could reach. Broadway said to her, come and get it, if you can take it. She did take it until one happy day Broadway got tired and said, Oh, what's the use? You don't know when you're whipped, so name your price, and go to work in earnest. Miss Smith named her price. It was plenty up in figures so high that one week of her salary was far more than most people made in a whole year. Verily it pays to be persistent. And here is an encouraging statement which carries with it a suggestion of great significance. Thousands of singers whose vocal skills exceed those of Kate Smith are walking UP and down Broadway today looking for a B-R-E-A-K without success. Countless others have come and gone. Many of them sang well enough, but they failed to make the grade because they lacked the courage to keep on keeping on until Broadway became tired of turning them away. Persistence is a state of mind, therefore, it can be cultivated. Like all states of mind, persistence is based upon definite causes, among them what I call the eight factors of persistence. 1. Definiteness of purpose. Knowing what one wants is the first and, perhaps, the most important step toward the development of persistence. A strong motive forces one to surmount many difficulties. 2. Desire. It is comparatively easy to acquire and to maintain persistence in pursuing the object of intense desire. 3. Self-reliance. Belief in one's ability to carry out a plan encourages one to follow the plan through with persistence. Self-reliance can be developed through the principle described in Chapter 3 on Autosuggestion. 4. Definiteness of plans. Organized plans, even though they may be weak and entirely impractical, encourage persistence. 5. Accurate knowledge. Knowing that one's plans are sound, based upon experience or observation, encourages persistence, persistence, guessing, instead of knowing, destroys. 6. Cooperation. Sympathy, understanding, and harmonious cooperation with others tend to develop persistence. 7. Willpower. The habit of concentrating one's thoughts upon the building of plans for the attainment of a definite purpose leads to persistence. 8. Habit. Persistence is the direct result of habit. The mind absorbs and becomes a part of the daily experiences upon which it feeds. Fear, the worst of all enemies, can be effectively cured by forced repetition of acts of courage. 
Everyone who has seen active service in war knows this. Before leaving the subject of persistence, take inventory of yourself and determine in what particular, if any, you are lacking in this essential quality. Measure yourself courageously, point by point, and see how many of the eight factors of persistence you lack. The analysis may lead to discoveries that will give you a new grip on yourself. The 16 symptoms of lack of persistence. Here you will find the real enemies which stand between you and noteworthy achievement. Here you will find not only the 16 symptoms that indicate weakness of persistence, but also the deeply seated subconscious causes of this weakness. Study the list carefully and face yourself squarely if you really wish to know WHOUR and what you are capable of doing. These are the 16 weaknesses which must be mastered by all who accumulate riches, wants. 1. Failure to recognize and to clearly define exactly what one. 2. Procrastination, with or without cause, usually backed up with a formidable array of alibis and excuses. 3. Lack of interest in acquiring specialized knowledge. 4. Indecision, the habit of passing the buck on all occasions instead of facing issues squarely. Also backed by alibis. 5. The habit of relying upon alibis instead of creating definite plans for the solution of problems. 6. Self-satisfaction. There is but little remedy for this affliction and no hope for those who suffer from it. 7. Indifference, usually reflected in one's readiness to compromise on all occasions, rather than meet opposition and fight it. 8. The habit of blaming others for one's mistakes, and accepting unfavorable circumstances as being unavoidable. 9. Weakness of desire, resulting from neglect in the choice of motives that impel action. 10. Willingness, even eagerness, to quit at the first sign of defeat. Based upon one or more of the six basic fears. 11. Lack of organized plans, placed in writing where they may be analyzed. 12. The habit of neglecting to move on ideas or to grasp opportunity when it presents itself. 13. Wishing instead of willing. 14. The habit of compromising with poverty instead of aiming at riches. General absence of ambition to be, to do, and to own. 15. Searching for all the shortcuts to riches, to get without giving a fair equivalent, usually reflected in the babbit of gambling or endeavoring to drive, sharp, bargains. 16. Fear of criticism, which leads to failure to create plans and put them into action because of what other people will think, do, say. This enemy belongs at the head of the list because it generally exists in one's subconscious mind, where its presence is not recognized. See the six basic fears on page 240. Let us examine some of the symptoms of number 16, the fear of criticism. The majority of people permit relatives, friends, and the public at large to so influence them that they cannot live their own lives because they fear criticism. Huge numbers of people make mistakes in marriage, stand by the bargain, and go through life miserable and unhappy because they fear criticism which may follow if they correct the mistake. Anyone who has submitted to this form of fear knows the irreparable damage it does by destroying ambition, self-reliance, and the desire to achieve. Millions of people neglect to acquire belated educations, after having left school, because they fear criticism. Countless numbers of men and women, both young and old, permit relatives to wreck their lives in the name of duty because they fear criticism. Duty does not require anyone to submit to the destruction of one's personal ambitions and the right to live one's own life in one's own way. People refuse to take chances in business because they fear the criticism which may follow if they fail. The fear of criticism in such cases is stronger than the desire for success. Too many people refuse to set high goals for themselves, or even neglect selecting a career, because they fear the criticism of relatives and friends who may say, don't aim so high, people will think you are crazy. When Andrew Carnegie suggested that I devote 20 years to the organization of a philosophy of individual achievement, my first impulse of thought was fear of what people might say. The suggestion set up a goal for me, far out of proportion to any I had ever conceived. 
As quick as a flash, my mind began to create alibis and excuses, all of them traceable to the inherent fear of criticism. Something inside me said, you can't do it the job is too big and requires too much time what will your relatives think of you, how will you earn a living, no one has ever organized a philosophy of success, what right have you to believe you can do it, who are you, anyway, to aim so high, remember your humble birth what do you know about philosophy, people will think you are crazy, and they did, why hasn't some other person done this before now? These and many other questions flashed into my mind and demanded attention. It seemed as if the whole world had suddenly turned its attention to me with the purpose of ridiculing me into giving up all desire to carry out Mr. Carnegie's suggestion. I had a fine opportunity then and there to kill off ambition before it gained control of me. Later in life, after having analyzed thousands of people, I discovered that most ideas are stillborn and need the breath of life injected into them through definite plans of immediate action. The time to nurse an idea is at the time of its birth. Every minute it lives gives it a better chance of surviving. The fear of criticism is at the bottom of the destruction of most ideas which never reach the planning and action stage. Many people believe that material success is the result of favorable breaks. There is some element of truth in the belief, but people who depend entirely upon luck are nearly always disappointed because they overlook another important factor which must be present before one can be sure of success. It is the knowledge with which favorable breaks can be made to order. During the depression, W. C. Fields, the comedian, lost all his money and found himself without income, without a job, and with his means of earning a living, vaudeville, made obsolete. Moreover, he was past 60, the age when many people consider themselves old. He was so eager to stage a comeback that he offered to work without pay in a new field, movies. In addition to his other troubles, he fell and injured his neck. To many that would have been the place to give up and quit. But Fields was persistent. He knew that if he carried on he would get the break sooner or later, and he did get them, but not by chance. Mary Dressler found herself down and out, with her money gone and with no job, when she was about 60. She, too, went after the breaks and got them. Her persistence brought an astounding triumph late in life, long beyond the age when most men and women are done with ambition to achieve. Point five. Eddie Cantor lost his money in the 1929 stock market crash, but he still had his persistence and his courage. With these, plus two prominent eyes, he exploited himself back into an income of $10,000 a week. Registered verily, if one has persistence, one can get along very well without many other qualities. The only break anyone can afford to rely upon is a self-made one. These come through the application of persistence. The starting point is definiteness of purpose. Examine the first 100 people you meet, ask them what they want most in life, and 98 of them will not be able to tell you. If you press them for an answer, some will say security, many will say money, a few will say happiness, others will say fame and power, and still others will say social recognition, ease in living, ability to sing, dance, or write but none of them will be able to define these terms or give the slightest indication of a plan by which they hope to attain these vaguely expressed wishes. Riches do not respond to wishes. They respond only to definite plans, backed by definite desires, through constant persistence. How to develop persistence? There are four simple steps which lead to the habit of persistence. They call for no great amount of intelligence, no particular amount of education, and but little time or effort. The necessary steps are 1. A definite purpose backed by burning desire for its fulfillment. 2. A definite plan, expressed in continuous action. Three. A mind closed tightly against all negative and discouraging influences, including negative suggestions of relatives, friends and acquaintances. 4. 
a friendly alliance with one or more persons WH0 will encourage one to follow through with both plan and purpose. These four steps are essential for success in all walks of life. The entire purpose of the 13 principles of the Think and Grow Rich philosophy is to enable one to take these four steps as a matter of habit. These are the steps by which one may control one's economic destiny. They are the steps that lead to freedom and independence of thought. They are the steps that lead to riches, in small or great quantities. They lead the way to power, fame, and worldly recognition. They are the four steps which guarantee favorable breaks. They are the steps that convert dreams into physical realities. They lead also to the mastery of fear, discouragement, and indifference. There is a magnificent reward for all who learn to take these four steps. It is the privilege of writing one's own ticket and of making life yield whatever price is asked. I have no way of knowing the facts, but I venture to conjecture that Mrs. Wallace Simpson's great love for a man was not accidental, nor the result of favorable breaks alone. There was a burning desire and careful, searching at every step of the way. Her first duty was to love. What is the greatest thing on earth? Jesus called it love not man-made rules, criticism, bitterness, slander, or political marriages, but love. Wallace Simpson knew what she wanted not after she met the Prince of Wales, but long before that. Twice when she had failed to find it, she had the courage to continue her search. To thine own self be true, and it must follow, as the night the day, thou canst not then be false to any man. Her rise from obscurity was of the slow, progressive, persistent order, but it was sure. She triumphed over unbelievably long odds, and no matter who you are or what you may think of Wallace Simpson or the king who gave up his crown for her love, she was an astounding example of applied P-E-R-S-I-S-T-E-N-C-E, an instructor on the rules of self-determination from whom the entire world might profitably take lessons. And what of King Edward? What lesson may we learn from his part in one of the 20th century's greatest personal dramas? Did he pay too high a price for the affections of the woman he loved? No one but he could have answered that question. The rest of us can only conjecture. Thus much we know the king came into the world without his own consent. He was born to great riches, without requesting them. He was persistently sought in marriage. Politicians and statesmen throughout Europe tossed dowagers and princesses at his feet. Because he was the firstborn of his parents, he inherited a crown which he did not seek and perhaps did not desire. For more than 40 years he was not a free agent, could not live his life in his own way, had but little privacy, and finally assumed duties inflicted upon him when he ascended the throne. Some will say, with all these blessings, King Edward should have found peace of mind, contentment, and joy of living. The truth is that back of all the privileges of a crown, all the money, the fame, and the power inherited by King Edward, there was an emptiness which could be filled only by love. His greatest desire was for love. Long before he met Wallace Simpson, he doubtless felt this great universal emotion tugging at the strings of his heart, beating upon the door of his soul and crying out for expression. 10. King Edward's decision to give up the British crown for the privilege of going the remainder of the way through life with the woman of his choice was a decision that required courage. The decision also had a price, but who has the right to say the price was too great? 11. As a suggestion to anyone who would find fault with the Duke of Windsor because his desire for love led him to openly declare that love and give up his throne for it, let it be remembered that his open declaration was not essential. He could have followed the custom of clandestine liaison or secret affair, which had prevailed in Europe for centuries, without giving up either his throne or the woman of his choice and there would have been no complaint from either church or the public. But this unusual man was built of sterner stuff. His love was deep and sincere. It represented the one thing which above all else he truly desired, therefore, he took what he wanted and paid the price demanded. Point one two. Most of the world today would applaud the Duke of Windsor and Wallace Simpson because of their persistence in searching until they found life's greatest reward. 
All of us can profit by following their example in our own search for that which we demand of life. L3. What mystical power gives to people of persistence the capacity to master difficulties? Does the quality of persistence set up in one's mind some form of spiritual, mental, or chemical activity which gives one access to supernatural forces? Does infinite intelligence throw itself on the side of the person who still fights on after the battle has been lost, with the whole world on the opposing side? These and many other similar questions have arisen in my mind as I have observed individuals such as Henry Ford, who started from scratch and built an industrial empire of huge proportions with little else in the way of a beginning but persistence, or Thomas A. Edison, who with less than three months of schooling became the world's leading inventor and converted persistence into the phonograph, the movie projector, and the incandescent light, to say nothing of a hundred other useful inventions. I had the happy privilege of analyzing and studying at close range both Mr. Edison and Mr. Ford year by year over a long period of years, so I speak from first-hand knowledge when I say that I found no quality save persistence in either of them that would even remotely suggest the major source of their stupendous achievements. As one makes an impartial study of the prophets, philosophers, miracle workers, and religious leaders of the past, one is drawn to the inevitable. Conclusion that persistence, concentration of effort, and definiteness of purpose were the major sources of their achievements. Consider, for example, the strange and fascinating story of Muhammad. Analyze his life, compare him with individuals of achievement in this modern age of industry and finance, and observe how they all have one outstanding trait in common persistence. If you are keenly interested in studying the strange power which gives potency to persistence, read a biography of Muhammad, especially the one by Esad Bey. This brief review of that book, by Thomas Sugru in the New York Herald Tribune, will provide a preview of the rare treat in store for those who take the time to read the entire story of one of the most astounding examples of the power of persistence known to civilization. The Last Great Prophet Reviewed by Thomas Sugru Muhammad was a prophet, but he never performed a miracle. He was not a mystic, he had no formal schooling, he did not begin his mission until he was 40. When he announced that he was the messenger of God, bringing word of the true religion, he was ridiculed and labeled a lunatic. He was banished from his native city, Makkah, and his followers were stripped of their worldly goods and sent into the desert after him. When he had been preaching 10 years, he had nothing to show for it but banishment, poverty and ridicule. Yet before another 10 years had passed, he was ruler of Makkah, and the head of a new world religion which was to sweep to the Danube and the Pyrenees before exhausting the impetus he gave it. That impetus was threefold, the power of words, the efficacy of prayer, and man's kinship with God. His career never made sense. Muhammad was born to impoverished members of a leading family of Makkah. Because Makkah, the crossroads of the world, home of the magic stone called the Kaaba, or Kaaba, great city of trade in the center, of trade routes, was unsanitary, its children were sent to be raised in the desert by Bedouins. Muhammad was thus nurtured, drawing strength and health from the milk of nomad, vicarious mothers. He tended sheep and soon hired out to a rich widow as leader of her caravans. He traveled to all parts of the eastern world, talked with many men of diverse beliefs and observed the decline of Christianity into warring sects. When he was 28, Khadija, the widow, looked upon him with favor and married him. For the next 12 years Muhammad lived as a rich and respected and very shrewd trader. Then he took to wandering in the desert, and one day he returned with the first verse of the Quran and told Khadija that the Archangel Gabriel had appeared to him and said that he was to be the messenger of God. The Quran, the revealed word of God, was the closest thing to a miracle in Muhammad's life. He had not been a poet, he had no gift of words. Yet the verses of the Quran, as he received them and recited them to the faithful, were better than any verses which the professional poets of the tribes could produce. This, to the Arabs, was a miracle. To them the gift of words was the greatest gift, the poet was all-powerful. 
In addition the Quran said that all men were equal before God, that the world should be a democratic state Islam. It was this political heresy, plus Muhammad's desire to destroy all the 360 idols in the courtyard of the Kaaba, which brought about his banishment. The idols brought the desert tribes to Makkah, and that meant trade. So the businessmen of Makkah, the capitalists, of which he had been one, set upon Muhammad. Then he retreated to the desert and demanded sovereignty over the world. The rise of Islam began. Out of the desert came a flame which would not be extinguished a democratic army fighting as a unit and prepared to die without wincing. Muhammad had invited the Jews and Christians join him, for he was not building a new religion. He was calling all who believed in one God to join in a single faith. If the Jews and Christians had accepted his invitation, Islam would have conquered the world. They didn't. They would not even accept Muhammad's innovation of humane warfare. When the armies of the Prophet entered Jerusalem, not a single person was killed because of his faith. When the Crusaders entered the city, centuries later, not a Muslim man, woman, or child was spared. But the Christians did accept one Muslim idea the place of learning, the university. Religious visionaries such Muhammad, business leaders such as Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, and Andrew Carnegie, political leaders such as Samuel Adams, entertainers such as Fanny Hurst, Kate Smith, and W. C. Fields, cosmopolites such as Wallace Simpson and the Duke of Windsor no matter what their walk of life, individuals such as these in all eras of human history have demonstrated the tremendous power of the 8th step to riches P-E-R-S-I-S-T-E-N-C-E, sustained effort in the face of all odds and all adversity. Persistence creates faith. And faith is the only known antidote for failure, it is the starting point of all accumulation of riches, and it is the only agency through which one can tap the force of infinite intelligence. Great power can be accumulated through no other principle than that of the mastermind.